thank you so much for joining us on Failing Forward. Today we're going to talk about localization and particularly localization in a humanitarian context and how we can do that. This is the first in a two-part series. Today we're going to talk about what you can do before a crisis to prepare for better localization and better partnership. And next time we'll talk about what you can do once a crisis is hit to improve partnership and make sure that we're really investing for the long term. Before we get started, can you introduce yourself for the audience, please? So my name is Victoria Palmer. I'm a humanitarian monitoring, evaluation, accountability and learning specialist and I work with Care Canada. My name is Puji Pujiono. I'm the uh, senior advisor to a local NGO in a village in Jakarta, Indonesia uh, named Pujiono Center. And I'm one of the proponents of the uh, network of networks uh, in Indonesia that's called Sajajar. My name is Disha Marianti. I um, assistant to Senior Advisor of Pujiono Center, which is uh, Puji Pujiono. Thank you. Thank you. So before we get started talking about the programming, or the challenges and the case study, talk to us a little bit about what is localization. From our perspective, local NGOs in Indonesia, localization to us really means that we need to do the humanitarian response the way that we understand it the way that we think more appropriate and suiting to the need and the capacity of uh, local community, particularly those who are most affected by the, um, the um, hazards. That's at least the way we look at it. But I understand that people have different understanding of localizations. Uh, um, for, for the, what I see anyway in the Indonesian government, localization seems to be passing off some of the responsibilities, but not always the authority from the central government to local governments. What we see in Indonesia uh, among the international NGOs, localization seems to be simply translated into localizing the personality into national outfits. So then we have the national INGOs, if you like, uh, some interpreted by hiring local people, but not necessarily passing the bucks, you know not necessarily passing the resources. Internally in Indonesia, localization also means strengthening some of the national NGOs to become international NGOs in, in some regard. But uh, also because Indonesia is multi-layered, you know, we are a country of 260 million people with uh, national government, provincial and uh, district and, and uh, municipalities. NGOs are structuring themselves as such as well. So when we speak of localization in Indonesia, sometimes it means that the national NGOs will need to behave in a certain way vis-a-vis -vis their colleagues at the sub-national level. So in that context, why is it important for us to talk about challenges in programming? I think from, um, from our perspective um, at CARE, you know, we, we think that um, it's important to be honest about when things don't go well. Um, it's the only way that we can learn and improve. You know, we have to acknowledge that the sector we work in is really complex. We're working in, especially when we're working in humanitarian contexts, you know, we face a lot of challenges and we're also trying to coordinate globally as an organization and, you know, within the sector. So it's not, you know, it's not the case that programming will always be perfect. I think it's really important to be transparent um, about what we try to do and when things don't go well so we can do better next time, basically. When we decided to start doing this research around localization, and partnerships. Um, it was really prompted by the kind of repeated patterns that we were seeing in different contexts. So we knew from our experience within care that we 
were making similar mistakes in different emergencies in different countries time and again. We also saw that in some places we were doing well and we needed to learn better from you know, where we could do well. So I think it's really um, you know, being open about the fact that we can't always achieve perfection and things like localization and working in an equal way with partners is, is a difficult thing to get right, which we're all struggling with, I think, as INGOs. And so if we can be transparent and reflect on the challenges that we're facing, then we can try and take steps forward. So this piece of research that we started, which was prompted by the, the Sulawesi earthquake and tsunami in Indonesia, it was really about trying to identify for care internally, what are the barriers that we see time and again, that we now need to really understand and try to address so that we don't keep repeating that pattern. And in the paper that you studied on the Sulawesi response, tell us a little bit about what that context looks like. Well, the uh, Central Sulawesi earthquake and tsunami was sort of very unique um, uh, disasters event in Indonesia. It was preceded by another major earthquake in the Lombok Island. And also around that time, also uh, Agung volcano, uh, volcanic eruption in Bali amidst the World Bank Conference and whatnot. And also 2018 was the election year in Indonesia. Now all of these four elements fused into one in Central Sulawesi that end up with government declaring that Central Sulawesi is sort of off limits to international assistance. If not, it was uh, not open to everyone as it used to be. The government decided that uh, only international organizations that have representatives or already presence in the country could deliver the aids and assistance and that they will have to partner with local actors. So in brief, the Central Sulawesi um, suddenly provides by design or by accident a very interesting specimen about localization by force nonetheless. And why it happened, I speculated that because over the years, Indonesian government gained somewhat confidence that disaster management in Indonesia has improved significantly, that the government feel that they can handle it. They project themselves as uh, we are able to handle this and we don't need anyone else to do it on one side. But on the other side also, I think what's realistic is international assistance quite often added the unnecessary and unwanted complications to the operation, cluttered, and sometimes even diplomatic uh, costs that, that comes along with it. So um, that was the localization on the perspective of the government. And uh, what happened then, uh, our international colleagues uh, kept at bay. Uh, either they provide uh, you know, support from distance, and those who are inside the country were scrambling, trying to meet the tremendous need that arise from the disaster. I think on the hindsight, there was also rather underestimation of the extent of the disaster. But that's the context. So that INGOs were forced to change their modus operandi. Many of them will have to step aside, allow the stage operated by uh, national NGOs and local NGOs. So in that context, a couple of things I hear you saying are it was a compound emergency. There were multiple things happening at the same time. There was a forced localization. So the, the government passed some policies that, that changed the way different organizations were able to respond. And also there were restrictions on access in and out. Additionally, it sounds like there was, um, as with many emergencies, it wasn't clear right at the beginning exactly what we were facing and what the need was. 
So in that context, what were some of the things that went wrong with a very sudden localization process? One, I think we don't have um, any ready framework to do localization as such. Not to mention that for many of us in Indonesia, we did not really embrace localization, although it was committed in Istanbul as, a, as one of the grand bargain. But localization was, was a mist uh, for many of us. We don't have any infrastructure to do localization. Um, and uh, that's being said, uh, there is no established uh, ways for the international NGOs to pass on resources, to uh, upgrade and upscale the capacity of local actors uh, to meet uh, the humanitarian requirements with the scale that are required, with the quality that is demanded by international standard, with the speed that we wish to, you know, the necessity to, to stick and adhere to humanitarian principles. And the, uh, uh, impediments or hindrances to, to localization uh, that one would wish to, to be applied in that context. Victoria, you can add? So as I mentioned before, the idea of this research was really prompted by that unique situation that the government had instructed us to do a fully localized response. Um, and that was something that we had to kind of come to terms with very quickly for the emergency. So it really was an opportunity to look at these different challenges that came up. And that's why we decided to focus on this research and use that as an opportunity to learn. So, I mean, I'm speaking like Care Canada initiated the study and it was very much in partnership with Care Indonesia the team there and the Pugioni Center and Puji um, leading with the local perspective as well. So what we, what we saw when we did the research and from the interviews that we did in the country and the different documents that we reviewed and things, one of the biggest challenges was that Care didn't have a partnership framework in place prior to the emergency. So where some other international organizations they had partnerships set up or they had you know, networks that they could draw on to make that localized response happen quickly. Care had worked with partners before but didn't have partnership frameworks in place for emergency response specifically. So while we did really well to get funding relatively quickly, um, the project started and on day one we needed to start looking for partners and then it's, uh, you know, obviously it takes time to identify partners, to go through the due diligence checks. So it meant that the window that we had for implementation wasn't as, um, as broad as we would like. And, you know, for care, our focus is always on trying to implement gender sensitive emergency response and think ahead towards gender transformative programming. You know, gender is a really key part of our vision in emergencies. And unfortunately, because the Indonesia team needed to get these projects implemented quickly and they needed to meet the needs on the ground. There just wasn't time to focus on working with organizations that might be more aligned with our values around gender. So they really looked for organizations who could deliver and deliver quickly and deliver, you know, good quality programming. Whereas working with those kind of smaller women's organizations would take a lot more time and would really need to be something that they thought about before the emergency happened. So I think that was one of the key challenges that we faced. Although we managed to do a good response and you know, meet people's needs on time, we couldn't think about broader issues around quality and particularly around gender. There were you know, different other challenges that we faced in terms of how we worked with partners that came out when we spoke to the local partners who we did work with. And these are challenges that we see in many emergencies in lots of different contexts, and I'm sure other organizations are familiar with them as well. But when you're working in a fully localized response, I think they're really amplified um, and became significant challenges for our local partners. So things like um, high turnover in staffing, gaps in leadership positions, 
some lack of clarity around roles and responsibilities, things that we're always faced with in emergencies. But um, that can really impact on the, the relationship you have with your partners if they're not getting clear messages around um, who's making decisions, like who to speak to, or they're getting conflicting messages from people, that can be really challenging. And in this context, because there was this kind of disconnect between the Jakarta response um, or the coordination in Jakarta and the response on the ground in Sulawesi, that was really made a lot more challenging, I think. And one thing we learned as CARE, and you know, part of the um, research, we looked at other emergency responses that CARE's done and how we've worked with partners in the past. So we did quite a broad literature review and we saw these issues coming up again and again was that some of our internal tools and processes, particularly in finance and compliance, logistics, can be really heavy and really difficult for partners to work with. So we find that they're quite rigid and they're you know, mainly focused on controlling the risk of working partners and they lack the kind of flexibility that would, be, that would allow us to have a more equal relationship with partners. One from another emergency response, there's a quote that cares me known um, as the organization of a thousand papers. And, you know, that's just pointing to the fact that our paperwork and our systems are just overwhelming for partners. And that was something that we heard from our partners in the Sulawesi response as well. And I think, I think overall, the biggest challenge that really came out in terms of what, what had gone wrong is not having put enough time into preparedness and thinking about how we would work with partners before the emergency happened. And this is one of the key lessons that we've learned in Indonesia and in other contexts as well. Now, I, I, I may add uh, to Victoria's explanation mm. from local perspectives. As I said earlier, Indonesia is a, is a massive country. We have a lot of organizations. So when such a major disaster happens, most of the responders are not humanitarian. These are student associations, these are mosque, uh, parochial organization, women's association, development, environment, you name it. You know, we have all sorts of, all kinds of organization on the ground. And then we have national organizations. And then we have the, um, the humanitarian national organization, if you like, and a lot of faith-based organization with huge resources to dispense. So in one hand, you're looking at thousands of organizations in Central Sulawesi responding the way they, they know it because they, they don't necessarily aware of humanitarian principles and, and practices, right? They're small scale, they're localized. So when international NGOs and CARO is not the only one announcing from Jakarta that they're looking for partners, but they have certain requirements like they must be experienced at least five years. They must have robust organization, financial, uh, you know, uh, scope of financial operation and, and, and humanitarian exposure and what's not. And that's suddenly 99% of organization, local organization, just disqualified in the first instance. The one who moved from one disaster to the other, from one island to the other, responding to emergencies. They don't necessarily have the qualification and uh, number of staff and capacity to be deployed to the theater, as many as required by the field. So end up hire, they end up hiring new people. They end up recruiting people from outside of the uh, uh, disaster areas. And these new recruits are not necessarily better than local ones, you know. But the sad part of that is, uh, for example, Women's Coalition of Central Sulawesi, they have women change maker in every villages, you know. They have structure. They have trained individuals who are familiar with the village on the ground. This is a case in point. But they just simply disqualified from, from this, uh, you know, uh, conventional way of selecting partners and uh, they end up at the periphery of the operation and yet they continue. So when the operation scales down and about six to eight months later, 
these groups are the ones who end up carrying the burden of recovery, actually. And uh, when NGOs try to catch up with this, things will be too late by then. So that's, I think, the other side of the localization. I think one of the key lessons for Indonesians colleague that we interviewed throughout this, uh, this study was that uh, realization that they should have better organized, they should have built a better alliance among themselves, they should be able to have a better bargaining uh, position in dealing with uh, international actors in time of disasters. Um, Puji, you just reminded me with that about the, there was a really interesting finding that um, some of the IN, some of the local organizations in Indonesia, in Indonesia are so big and have so much um, support, especially from the faith communities, that they don't necessarily need to partner with the INGOs. And it might sometimes be too much hassle, right, with the, all the paperwork we have and the systems we have. That's correct. Um, um, some of the civil society organization, uh, faith-based organization, they have their own machinery, they have their own huge funding, uh, and so on. And yet they, they could not you know, keep them on arm's length from international partners. So they end up having to entertain the swarming of INGOs approaching them, one among very few viable actors on the ground. So three, four, five, six INGOs would approach them would assess their organizational capacity, uh, you know, uh, demanding interviews and all that. It's become so overwhelming for this larger organization. And entertaining some of the contracts is just so cumbersome uh, that they turn to look the other way. We just do it ourselves with our local partners, for example. Right? So this, uh, this is a new phenomenon that, that we found. But on the other hand, also rather worrisome is that the, the newly emerging faith-based funding in Indonesia start responding to humanitarian situation with the principles that may not necessarily always adhering to the global principle that we know. Civil society in Indonesia end up busy to, uh, to uh, straighten out some of the practices and local governments complaining and all that. So these are, these are some of the nuances of localization that we saw in, uh, in Central Sulawesi, which, you know, Central I was privileged enough actually to undertook several studies on localization. We did a study on the local leadership on the first 100 days. This is a system-wide snapshot of what's going on. And after that, we undertook um, a network-wide uh, study on localization, uh, European INGO. That, uh, there's a consortium of 11 INGOs and uh, they're partnering with local partners. And then the third one is an agency-wide study of Care International. So we have that privilege of, of uh, having different scale of localization uh, and a different perspective. Thanks for listening. Tune in next time where Puji and Victoria will talk about how we can work with partners once a crisis hits to make sure that we're really invested for recovery in the long term.